This is case 48 from the Mumon Kang. Can pose one way. The case. A monk once asked Master Kempo. A sutra says the Bhagavats in the ten directions, one straight road to Nirvana. I wonder, where is that road? Kempo lifted up his stick, drew a line in the air, and said, Here. Later, a monk asked Umon about this. Umon held up his fan and said, This fan jumps up to heaven and hits the nose of the king of the gods. The cup of the eastern sea makes one leap and it rains torrents as if a bucket full of water has been overturned. Mumon's commentary. One goes to the bottom of the deep sea and raises a cloud of sand and dust. The other goes to the top of a towering mountain and raises foam, foaming waves that touch the sky. The one holds, the other lets go, and each, using only one hand, sustains the Dharma. It's like two children who come running from opposite directions and crash into each other. In this world, those who are truly awakened are difficult to find. But when seen with the true eye, neither of these two great masters know where the Nirvana road is. Mumon's verse. Before taking a step, you have already arrived. Before the tongue has moved, the teaching is finished. Though each move is ahead of the next, know there is still another way up. So last Sunday we held Fusatsu, which for some of you may have been the first time you recited the 16 Bodhisattva precepts together with the Sangha. And since we have some new Sangha members, I felt that it would be beneficial to talk a little bit about the first statement of the precepts and connect it with our practice, with our entire practice. It begins with taking refuge in the three treasures. What does it mean to take refuge? What does it mean to dedicate ourselves fully, fully to one path, one tradition, one? And why is there so much resistance to do so? Dogen's Shobogenzo begins with a fascicle titled Bendoa which is translated as the wholehearted way. At the first part of the text, he describes the practice of Zazen as the core aspect of our tradition. And then he shares some of his personal experiences on the path. And so after praising the practice and going through his own experiences, 
Dogen says, You have now heard just how great and vast the virtues and spiritual merits of this seated meditation are. However, someone who is confused by doubts may ask, Since there are many gates into the Buddha's teachings, why bother to do just seated meditation? And then he said, I would point out in response to that question, I would answer, because it is the proper and most straightforward entryway into what the Buddha taught. And then he says, this person may ask further, why is this the one and only proper and straightforward entryway? Why? Why not do something else? So when we hear this, when we hear what Dogen is saying, we may think that Dogen is arrogant or self-righteous about the practice. Right? Clearly, there are many other spiritual paths or traditions. So why not shop around and see what else is out there? See which one is better. Why not keep my options open instead of making a commitment to one path? And our minds tend to prefer dabbling in this and that and create a sense of mishmash or eclectic practices to experiment with. And it may be interesting to do so, may amuse or intrigue the mind, but a refusal or resistance to fully commit ourselves to a path keeps the illusory self firmly entrenched. And our picking and choosing state of being will only deepen the sense of discontentment, which we are trying to calm down. Our restlessness leads us to an endless search that seems to generate further restlessness rather than lead towards a sense of being at peace. Now, with any spiritual practice, the essential point is to stop running around and develop the courage to stay put so we can examine ourselves. It's not about a practice, it's about you. So turning away from a practice is turning away from you. Looking for yourself elsewhere. So it is asking us to take a deep look at ourselves so we can see, examine the assumptions we have about who we are, the fixed notions we have about others, the way we relate to life and death, our individual and collective karma, and we need to do all this while staying rooted in observing reality. So then the answers can come from reality itself rather than from our own personal interpretations of it. Both the disease and the medicine can only be discovered here. And the sole purpose of a spiritual path is to lead us directly to bear 
naked reality as it appears in this moment, in this body. This is always the only entry point we can ever encounter. Where else can it be? Oh, we can say, if it's not here right now, it is nowhere else to be found. And so to fully commit ourselves to a path means to be fully committed to this. This. In this koan, the monk asked Master Kempo, the Sulangama Sutra says, the Bhagavats in the ten directions, one straight road to Nirvana. I wonder, where is that road? And Kempo simply lifted up his stick, drew a line in the air, and said, here. In another translation, he drew a line on the ground. He could have also scratched his head and then followed by saying, follow that by saying here. Where does the attention go? This reminded me of a, uh, an intro to Buddhism class I taught some years ago at a local college it's part of a, a course that consisted of classes on, on different religions, different paths or spiritual traditions. And towards the end of the class, <clears throat> there was some time for questions. And a guy asked me if I considered Buddhism to be a philosophy or a religion. And I said, I don't consider, I practice. You consider. And because you consider, you don't practice. And this, this is very common, actually. This is how our mind thinks, works, operates. I'm going to sit here on the fence and examine the options. But examine the options based on my own preconceived ideas that I've accumulated and refined and honed over the years. I'm not going to let them go. I'm going to insist that this matches me and my ideas rather than look at the rigidity of me in the face of motion, or fluidity. But no, I'm going to sit here and look at the options. Check it out. Weigh things. This versus that. Which is better? Which is worse? What will one offer me? Versus another. So to wonder or consider is to remain in a cocoon of a fixed self that is looking at reality through a glass window and weighing the pros and cons of different trails 
without ever getting any mud on the hiking boots. And ultimately, we can learn, learn, the only way to learn is to step out of the cocoon, get on the road, get some mud on the boots, and fully commit. And yes, we will fall down. We will get bruised. We will experience the raw elements through the cold and heat. We will bump up against each other. And we unintentionally often hurt each other in the process of practicing together as a Sangha. But all of it is just there for us to learn from. All of it is showing us something, is teaching us something. And if I quit, well, let's put it this way. I can't say I want to learn and then quit. Go somewhere else. Or we say I want to learn, but I don't want to learn. It's probably more fitting. So in terms of Buddhist practice, to take refuge means to stop maneuvering around our hindrances and develop the willingness to face ourselves fully. That's all it is. We make something of it in the mind, but that's all it is. So some time ago, I came across an article by Chongyam Trumpa on the meaning of taking refuge. I want to share some of it. He wrote, In the Buddhist tradition, the purpose of taking refuge is to awaken from confusion and associate oneself with wakefulness. Taking refuge is a matter of commitment and acceptance and, at the same time, of openness and freedom. Not how we see it. We think we are giving up freedom by taking refuge. So we have to look at that and ask, is that true? Am I actually free? How can I be free if I am tethered to and obey the mind, the rigid mind? What kind of freedom is that? Or if I obey habits or obey karma? He says by... Taking ref the refuge vow, we commit ourselves to freedom. We commit ourselves to freedom. There is a general tendency to be involved in all kinds of fascinations and delusions. And nothing very much ever takes root in one's basic being. It's very true. Everything in one's own ex life's experiences concerning spirituality or anything else is purely a matter of shopping. Our lives consist of problems of pain, problems of pleasure, problems of points of view, problems about all kinds of alternatives which make our existence complicated. We have an alliance to that, alliance to this. There are hundreds and millions of choices involved in our lives, particularly in regard to our sense of discipline, our ethics, 
and our spiritual path. People are very confused about this chaotic world, about what is really the right thing to do. There are all kinds of rationales taken from all kinds of traditions and philosophies. We may try to combine them all together. Sometimes they conflict, sometimes they work together harmoniously. But we are constantly shopping and that is actually the basic problem. It's the mind of picking and choosing, isn't it? By taking this particular vow, we end our shopping and in the spiritual supermarket. We decide to stick to a particular brand for the rest of our lives. We choose to stick to a particular staple diet and flourish on it. Flourish on it. Because it's not about the thing. It's about the one sitting on this cushion. And he goes on to say, when we take refuge, we commit ourselves to the Buddhist path. This is not only simple, but also extremely economical approach. Henceforth, we will be on the particular path that was strategized, designed, and well thought out 2,500 years ago by the Buddha and the followers of his teaching. There's already a pattern and a tradition. There's already a discipline. We no longer have to run after that, that person or this person. We no longer have to compare our lifestyles to anybody else's. Once we have taken this step, we have no alternatives. There's no longer the entertainment of indulging in so-called freedom. We take a definite vow to enter a discipline and choicelessness or state of choiceless awareness, as it is sometimes referred to which saves us a lot of money, a lot of energy, and lots and lots of superfluous thinking. It is quite economical. So it's a state of choiceless awareness. And this is actually leading to Sashin, which we're going to go in a few weeks. This is the way we want to enter Sashin. I'm not here to make choices. I'm here to take a break from, from a mind that is never satisfied by any choice, or at least not for very long. I'm here to be free of me. How amazing is that? To be free of ourselves. Then he says, perhaps this approach may seem repressive, but it is really based on a sympathetic attitude toward our situation. To work on ourselves is really only possible when there are no sidetracks, no exits. Usually we tend to look for solutions from something new, something outside, a change in society or politics, a new diet, a new theory. Or else we are always finding new things to blame our problems on, such as relationships, society, or what have you or have not. Working on oneself without such exits or sidetracks side is the Buddhist path. 
Zazen, essentially, is voluntary restriction, isn't it? Right? I mean, yes, we do have rules, right? Standards. We do say, stay still, do not move. But you can get up and go. You can go home. You can stretch. You can lay down. What are you obeying? Nobody's tied up to a cushion. Nobody's forced to practice with the Sangha. Nobody's forced to sit Zazen. And this description, this is a very lucid, it's a very lucid way to describe the true meaning of wholeheartedly taking refuge in the practice. And I think that many people resist fully committing themselves to one path because it requires that we no longer try to escape. That we sit still with our restlessness, discomfort, insecurities, fears, pain. Well, to be more accurate, by freely entering the path, by freely entering the path and remaining on it, we are personally taking the responsibility to no longer escape. And if we think that the tradition is asking us to do so, we may become resentful of it. Or if we think that somebody is telling me to stick around, then we can develop all kinds of animosity, resistance. And then the, the practice may seem oppressive. It is not oppressive, but it may seem oppressive. And if we believe what we feel and think, it is oppressive. And Zazen is ultimately the practice of no escape. A Buddhism, in totality, is the practice of no escape. Being willing to see reality as it is, being willing to see our hindrances, and being willing to work with that, to merge ourselves with the way things are. So, is there another way? Well, as Dogen said, it is the proper and most straightforward entryway into what the Buddha taught. And this is what the Buddha taught. What the Buddha taught is not found in sutras. Sutras are there to point to this, because what the Buddha taught is found here. So, if I don't like this sutra, and I prefer that sutra, then where is, where is my attention? What am I studying? I prefer the chants that they chant over there. It sounds better. Look again, this may be an escape. 
if we think this way. And Zazen is a direct approach. It's the non-doing that offers a gateway to our intrinsic nature. Since we don't cover it up with all kinds of replacement, displacement activities, mind maneuverings, or following after emotions and concepts. The practice of stillness. When we stop building imaginary castles, we realize that we have always been the occupants of this magnificent palace. And this is not just poetic ways to be entertained by, meaning means to be entertained by. This is the way this is. This is wonder of wonders, borrowing from the words of the Buddha. And we are the residents of this wonder of wonders. So where is the one road to Nirvana? There it is. What do I do with it? Knock myself on the head, maybe. Throw it on somebody. Here is the road, the one road to Nirvana. Before the mind moves, here it is. When the Buddha was once walking with a few of his disciples, he stopped for a moment, looked around and said, this will be a great place to build a sanctuary. And Indra picked up a blade of grass, stuck it in the ground and said, the sanctuary is built. The one road to Nirvana, the sanctuary is built. The meal has long been cooked. It has always been about you. So plucking a blade of grass or drawing a line and pointing to it. Both are great gateways to nirvana, equally as great as the cushion you're sitting on, the clothes you're wearing, the blinking of your eyes, the legs that brought you up the stairs this morning. Kempo drew a line and said, enter from here. Now, we don't know if the monk got it or not. So later, this, <clears throat> later, this story got around and another monk, different one, asked Umon to explain it. Umon held up the fan, his fan, and said, this fan jumps up to heaven and hits the nose of the king of, of the gods. The cup of the eastern sea makes one leap and it rains torrents as if a bucket full of water has been overturned. And this is a very unusual response by Umon, who was known for his very terse responses. One word, Zen. He spoke a lot that day. Maybe he was amused by the question and allowed himself to splurge a little bit. But all he was saying is that when we realize this, this being the direct entry point to the totality of reality, it is like jumping up to the highest point of the universe 
and messing with the king of the gods by tapping his nose. And the fish, the fish in the, inter, in the eastern sea changes into a dragon and churns the entire ocean. It's a common description of the magnanimity of awakening from the small sense of self to the realization that we are the entire universe. Being everywhere and everything all at once. Is there anything that's not an entry point? And so connecting this with our theme, to work skillfully with the theme of ceaseless practice, we need to understand how to meet whatever arises in each moment and to fully embrace it, regardless of what the narrator in our mind has to say about it. And everything means everything. Everything means everything. You know, we, we come to practice thinking practice should look this way. We've been doing it for a while and that's the way it should look. And any deviation of that is wrong. For any deviation of that is irritating me. What does this have to do with practice? <coughs> right? The irritation. I am irritated. Well, practice is being irritated and work with that. Practice changing with the changes. It shouldn't look like that. It shouldn't sound like that. If we become rigid about our practice, it will not work. Because the practice is about us. So if it is showing me irritation, that's the hindrance I need to work with. This is what's preventing me from entering the flow or re-entering the flow. So you're irritated, big deal. You're upset. Open your eyes, learn, adjust, adapt. Flow. So like Kempo who drew a line and said, this is it. All past teachers in our tradition pointed to the souls and guided their disciples to refrain from explanations or conceptual commentaries and go directly to that. And if we do that, then we are a living continuation of our ancient tradition. Monk once asked Umon, how should one act during every hour of the day such that the ancestors are not betrayed. Now, how could I be a continuation of ancient teachers? Or how can my life be a seamless expression of what they taught? Umman said, give up your efforts. In other words, don't try so hard. And the monk said, how should I give up my effort? Umman said, give up the words you just uttered. Turn it around. Look at the one who is asking the question. 
Don't go along with the question looking for an answer. As Dogen said, take the backward step that shines the light inwardly. And another time, a monk asked Umon, what is Zen? Umon said, yes. Yes. What's missing? Anything? Do we hear the yes? Do we see the line? Do we pay attention? And then the monk asked, what is Tao? What is the way? Umon said, attain. That was more typical than what he said in relation to this corn. One word. Why? Because there is never more than one. There are no other roads. There is no other place to be. There is nothing else to practice. So no, Dogen wasn't self-righteous and uptight about this is the only way or our way is the best. It's not what he was saying. It's what we hear. Zen is the only way. Give me a break. Right? There are many ways. What is Zen? Right? Because if I say Zen is the only way, if I hear Zen is the only way, I think I know what that means. Do I really know? Stop. Stop running around. Stop talking. And look. Listen. Mumon's verse, before taking a step, you have already arrived. Take the backward step. And you will see. that you've already arrived. Before the tongue has moved, the teaching is finished. So what did the Buddha teach? Though each move is ahead of the next, know there is still another way up. Don't rely on them. You! See for yourself. So taking refuge in the practice is taking refuge in who you really are. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, now. 